You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Thankful to be able to worship Jesus with you and honor him and to declare his kingdom in this place. So powerful, so good. We are and have been in a series on lament, learning about lament over the last three weeks. And give you a little bit of recap uh, in just a moment. The responses that we've been getting uh, from those of you here and then also those of you who are online watching, and we're grateful that you're doing that, have been extremely encouraging They've been moving, uh, just powerful testimonies. Carla and I actually heard from a a mother and a daughter in South Africa that were watching and just uh, reached out to us just to say how powerful it had been to them. Uh, For those of you who don't know, we do a lot of mission work as a church down there and have over the years and built a lot of relationships. But God is using this in many different places and, and, and in many different lives, and I'm grateful for that as God is teaching us how to lament properly, how to go about the biblical lament. And some of what we learn has to do with this uh, record player. In case some of y'all didn't know what this is, this is a record player. And uh, yes, and uh, inside it is a place where you place records. Okay, so one of the things that we've been talking about uh, throughout this series is just how with a record player, like you, you, you put that song on, that, that minor key song, that prayer, and you, and you begin to allow that to play, if you will. And we've gone through what that means. Now, last week I informed you about this amazing invention. It was, it was life-changing, it was earth-shattering, and it was the automatic return tone arm. Y'all, are, y'all, it's earth shattering. I can tell y'all all like that a lot. So this one isn't that way. It's like manual, so it's kind of a cheaper version. But this tone arm, right, it would go and it would start the record and it would play all, all the way till the end. And when it got to the end, that new invention, that automatic, it would come up and it would go back on its own. And even some of them would pop another record down and it would start. You didn't have to get up. It was amazing, right? Okay, so the point being, as we go through life, right, and we're singing our songs to God, and the lament, if you will, that minor key song, that minor key prayer is going to be played over and over and over again. And what was that progression, right? That progression was that we turn and we cry out to God, whatever it is, we bring our complaint, we voice our complaint to God, and that's with all the hows and the whys, God, and we take that to him, but that will soon shift into where we take our eyes off of hows and whys and begin to focus them on Jesus. We were just singing a moment ago and we say, God, I need your help. We cry out to the only one that can help us in the lament and that finally takes us to that final place that a lament is supposed to take us, which is faith-filled worship in the middle of my mess that affirms that I trust God, although I don't see how it's all going to work out. And so what happens, right, is we get to the end of that prayer and the end of that song, and a lot of times we think, well, that's the end. But no, in life, that arm gets back up, and it goes back to the beginning, and we start all over again, turning to God, crying out to God, voicing our complaint, crying out for his help, and affirming that we trust him through faith-filled worship. 
over and over and over again. Thus far, if you want to go with that analogy today, we played the record of how-to. That was the how-to that I just went through of lament. Last week, we talked about what we need to learn from lament, that we grow in wisdom and we learn from lament as we memorialize things that have happened in the past or that are going on, that we learn through the painful lessons. We want to learn what God is trying to teach us as we lament. And then today, specifically, I want to talk about how lament can be a pathway to racial reconciliation. Now, as a multi-generational church and a multi-ethnic church, this is extremely important to us, and it shouldn't just be important to us, it should be important to anyone who is a Christian, any believer that is following the work of Christ who came to tear down every dividing wall, his word says, so that we could be made one as he is one. And so as we think about that, you know, I'm going to pull out the record by Stevie Wonder and, and, and Paul McCartney, Ebony and Ivory, y'all know that one, right? No, I'm not going to do that right now. But we play this song, if you will, this lament, and it helps us as a pathway to racial reconciliation because racial reconciliation is supposed to be one of the marks of the church, distinctive to the church, inherent to the church in the work of Christ. And I say supposed to because it's not happened on a large scale in our context for that much in our particularly Western world to date, and it is a continuing spiritual battle against division and hatred worldwide wherever there are people. We find ways to divide instead of ways to be reconciled to one another. So this morning, I want to invite you to pray with me in asking the Holy Spirit to help as I preach and teach this morning that what is preached, what is taught, will land on the fertile soil of our hearts and grow and germinate into something that is life-changing. Can you pray that with me? Just with an affirmation of, yes, God, I want to be changed by your word. I want it to land not on rocky soil, but on something that will grow. And let me just say this before I step into this message this morning, that this Sunday marks one year ago today that we had our final service before we went off into COVID land, right? Before we went off into having to not have church. This was it, final Sunday, a year ago today, and then everything shut down. We weren't here, we were online, we were scrambling here trying to figure out how we were going to stream and, and everybody did an amazing job of creating a new normal for us as we adapted and tried to continue to gather as a church while we were unable to gather. One year ago today and, and here we are, right? And, and so I want you to understand that the enemy is always at work to cause division. So one year ago today, COVID affected as a multi-generational church disproportionately a, a particular age group within our congregation. The older people, like my last week was the first Sunday in a year that my parents had been to church. Some of you are starting to trickle back in because there's a little bit more safety that we feel because of the things that have happened. And so all of that's taken place, but it affected our church gathering as a whole, but it also disproportionately affected and made sick, and in some cases caused some to die that were a part of this family in that older multi-generational bracket, if you will. 
Then you throw the fact that we're separated physically, we're unable to gather together, and the racial tension in our nation began to rise and began to fester, and the church was already separated, and I could see the hand of the enemy at work as we're unable to gather together and see each other face to face, which already causes us to doubt things about one another, and then something else gets thrown. Another something gets grenaded into the middle of the church, and the enemy was at hard work to destroy and divide the body. So it's important that we recognize where we've come from and that we're in a continuing spiritual battle to be who God's called us to be. With that being said, I want to talk about how lament sets the table for racial reconciliation. Lament does this, and remember, I like to use the word and the imagery of table because that is where we come together for fellowship in life. We gather together for a family meal. We gather around the table. We, we, we gather together to be with the family that way. That's, where, that's something that is in, etched in our minds. Or if we go back to the Lord's table, the communion, if you will, where we come to the table not as just an individual but as the body of Christ to remember and to have fellowship with one another because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's not just an individual experience. It's a family, body of Christ experience. Mark Vergop in his book, Weep With Me, gives a five-fold path for the process of racial reconciliation, which lament is in. Love, listen, lament, learn, and leverage. Love, listen, lament, learn, and leverage. Why is this important? Again, because this is a responsibility of the body of Christ. Why love? It starts with love because without love we've got nothing. Without love, it doesn't work. Without God in the middle of it, it'll never happen. We know that God is love. The Bible also says in John 13, 35, that they will know you are a Christian by the way that you love one another. So it's our love, it's the love of God working through us that we would love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we would love our neighbor as ourselves. So as Christians, our common relationship with Jesus gives us a new spiritual identity. It gives us a new name. It gives us a new diverse family that we are now grafted in and become a part of. And the commonality in Christ now as brothers and sisters in Christ is more foundational than any cultural, racial, or ethnic category. This is the starting point of every right relationship. It's the love of Christ in us that makes us one. Now, it doesn't negate all of those unique differences that we've been made with, but it creates a beautiful community of diversity where we are diverse but one, which is supposed to be the mark of the body of Christ, the church. With that being said, I want to talk about the second step. So that's love. Let's go to the second step along this path of racial reconciliation. And let's talk about listening. James 1.19. This is an instruction to those of us who are believers. The church. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. All right. We could just leave right now because this is something we're all learning and we all don't do a really good job at. If you do, bless the Lord, but most of us do not. Because here's our cultural translation of this particular verse. Just join me. You ain't got to listen to nobody that you don't want to or doesn't agree with you. Make them pry your dead cold fingers out of your ears before you listen to anybody. And say whatever you want, whenever you want. As soon as it comes to your mind, let it hit your lips. When you speak, strike first, strike hard, and no mercy, let them feel your wrath. That's the Cobra Kai translation. 
and one we've adopted fairly well. For those of you who grew up in my age, you know, Cobra Kai has made a resurgence on Netflix. Man, it, it just takes me back to me being 12 years old again. What we're going to see is lament helps us to listen. We've talked about the fact that one-third of the 150 psalms are lament, songs in a minor key, if you will, in essence. We've even had some music theory lessons over the last few weeks. We've talked about minor chords. We've talked about major chords. We've talked about suspended chords. But one of the points I made in the first few weeks is that if lament was such an integral part of the Bible— If it was such an integral part, one-third of the Psalms, there's a whole book called Lamentations. If there's such an integral part of the Bible, then why are there so few lament-type songs in our worship library? Let me just give you an example about music library. Let's come back to this little record cabinet. This actually sat in my house as a kid growing up. Uh, Yeah, just nostalgic for me. Uh, This, however, is new just looks old but this is a record cabinet and in it was records (gasps) there's records in there how about that so what I want you to understand as we talk about this is that I could say growing up that there was a particular style of music now I had a very eclectic palette and I listened to a lot of kinds of music as you're going to see but you might say as whatever the case may be let's just say as a young white boy that I listened to a lot of Boston. Some of y'all don't even know what this is, right? This is great stuff right here. Boston, all right? That's just one record that I might have listened to. I'm going to scoot this over and I'll put these up here. Okay. And then then I was also a big fan of Billy Joel. Yeah, I love Billy Joel, man. Piano man. He's the piano man. And I wanted to be the piano man. So I had a little bit of a collective, and I listened to some Wagner. Okay, y'all don't know, it's, it's like, what is that? that? That would be German, and it was, you know, orchestra, stuff like that. But what if I just said, man, I, there's something missing in my music. Like, where's the soul? There's no funk in that. Well, then I might go down here, and we'll skip the police and synchronicity. <laughs> but maybe I would listen to Sam Cooke. Mm-hmm. Some of y'all getting the feels out there. Mm, so Sam. Well, what about Diana Ross in the Supremes? Woo! This actually belonged to my father-in-law. It's got his name written on it. We could listen to the Jackson Five. Oh yeah. Or one of my favorites. Stevie. Okay. And there's Keith Green in there. Some of y'all don't even know who that is, but here's the reality. Until I was able to listen to another type of music, I didn't realize there maybe was another type of music. And here's what I should have said last week. It's not that the laments are not a part of the church. It's just that laments are not a big part of the white church. And the reason I say that is because the American, African-American spiritual makes up the whole almost, if you will, category of lament in American history. It's the spiritual. 
It's going to the African-American spiritual. I'll just call it spiritual for ease this morning. But what we're going to find is that as you step out and begin to listen to other styles of music, which we accepted and let it influence other types of music in the church, we were not willing to step out and accept a different type of music, a different type of song in order to hear something that we didn't want to hear. And here's a lament from a particular part of the body of Christ. And what we find as we step out and become the body of Christ, that the diversity that God created helps us to see God in a way that we never would if it's monochromatic. In the case of spirituals, there's so much to learn. That's what we, we learn from lament. These laments express the emotional trauma of slavery and segregation. They were songs from exiles who were protesting, as James says, the, the sin of partiality and abuse, as well as the failure to see somebody made in the image of God. Last week, we talked about lament being a memorial. And biblical lament helps us to memorialize the right things that God wants us to remember and what he wants us to learn through them. He wants us to remember the past correctly through a lens of Christ, if you will, honestly, even if it's rough or tough or awful or painful, that we remember it honestly as opposed to avoiding it altogether because we don't like to think about painful things. Remember, lament is the way God will deal with what he wants to heal he cannot heal what you're not willing to deal with or admit. This is important because restoration doesn't come to those who live in denial. It comes to those who are honest before God and cry out for his help. As Christians who have been reconciled back to God and now have been given the ministry of reconciliation so that we can be, can be, we can be reconciled to one another, this ministry that we've been given, we have to admit there's still a whole lot of work to do as it relates to the area of racial reconciliation in the body of Christ. So now whether you agree with everything that I say today, that's probably not gonna happen, probably never happens. But what I do want us all to agree on, and I think we can all agree on this. Number one, there is racial division in our world. I think we can agree on that. Secondly, the church should be leading out in racial reconciliation. There is racial division, and the church should be leading out in racial reconciliation. And thirdly, and this is what this lesson has to do with, lament is one of the ways that we can lead out in being reconciled to one another in this process. It's a mechanism, it's a biblical way. The process also is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit within the people of God, and it will not and cannot happen by any other kind of social or cultural work. It has to happen through a supernatural work of the Spirit of God if it's going to last and make a difference. Now, to connect these points about laments and spirituals, if you will, it's important to give attention. Why would I give attention to a spiritual? Because spirituals help me to memorialize important lessons about hardship and suffering of other fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And whenever we learn from or gain wisdom from the past, which is what we do through the Bible and everything else historically, it gives us an ability to better empathize with people even in the present particularly minority brothers and sisters today. Again, these prayer songs, these spirituals, if you will, were corporate, much like the Psalms were corporate. They were written by an individual, yes, who was feeling these things, but they were sung corporately. That's why, written by David for the choir. 
What did that mean? They all sang it together as the body, this lament. They sang it together in the worship service. Just like a spiritual was written by someone, but it was sung together as a group of people that were lamenting the brokenness of their world while also saying, God, we trust you. So lament gives us a common language to talk about pain with God. It also, when it comes to racism and ethnic tension, it's a, it's a place where we can no longer, as the church of Jesus Christ, fall into the ditches of denial or the ditches of despair. Denial is, if we talk about it, it'll make it worse. That's denial. Or, I'm tired of this. I'm worn out. I, this is hopeless. That's despair. But in Christ, there's neither denial or despair. There is hope. But we do this by bringing that tension to the cross, to Jesus, crying out to him for his help, even our sorrow, even our hopelessness, and we say, God, we need your help. It's a biblical way to talk to God about the sorrow and the brokenness and the pain in this world. As it relates to ethnic division, it's the ability to talk about the brokenness and the pain that still is at work in this world. So I go a little bit deeper. How do we use lament to learn how to listen? Lament, how, do we, how does it help us? Lament fosters empathy. And empathy allows us to listen better. Lament fosters empathy. I said this months ago as we approached this one year mark of what, and now everything is gonna be a lot of one years that we're gonna have to deal with collectively over the next few months. It was one year ago today that this happened. It was one year ago today that this happened. These are things that we have to deal with correctly but what I believe is taking place is a refining of the American church. And one of the things that God is refining is something that we don't do well, and that's our ability to empathize with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Across the board, about anything, we're not very empathetic people, which is so strange because that was a mark of Jesus. The one we follow. Romans 12, 13, Paul's trying to, to get this across to the church when he says this. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Some translations say mourn with those who mourn. As H.B. Charles Jr. said, the Bible tells us to weep with those who weep. It doesn't tell us to judge whether they should be weeping or not. See, lament gives us the language. It gives us the mechanism to do Romans 15, 15 well. Lament gives us that ability to be able to go, I'm going to rejoice with those who rejoice, and I'm going to weep with those who weep. It communicates that while I cannot completely understand everything that you're dealing with, I am willing to walk alongside my brother or sister who is hurting simply because they're my brother or sister who's hurting. Lament fosters empathy. Perhaps one of the most beautiful examples of weeping, if you want a scriptural reference to this, because this is a little bit more topical, you could turn to the book of John and you can read in the chapter 11 of the book of John one of the most beautiful examples of weeping with those who weep. And it's found in the shortest verse in the Bible in John chapter 11, verse 35, when it says that Jesus wept. Why is this so beautiful? Because Jesus, after his friend Lazarus had died, Mary and Martha and everybody else, like three days he's been in the grave. And Jesus shows up and he shows up in Bethany with the intention of raising Lazarus from the dead. He's coming with the intention of raising Lazarus from the dead. So with that in mind, why wouldn't he have said, hey, whoa, what's all the crying about? Like, I got this. I'm about to raise him from the dead. Y'all don't need to get all upset. I got this. But the scripture says that Jesus responded very differently. 
Because he was around those who were his friends and he was close to, who says, the Bible says, were stricken with grief. And it says that Jesus, in verse 33, was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Some commentators and tra- translations talk about that word troubled in such a way he was angry. He was angry at Satan and what death and sin was doing to the world and his friends. He was angry about that knowing what he had come to do. And then it says they took him to the tomb of his friend and seeing everybody else that was mourning, it says Jesus wept. And how does that apply to us? Well, in the same way that you and I as Christians know, maybe Romans 8, 28, that God works together all things for good for those whose hearts belong to him and are called according to his purpose. I don't lead with that with my friend who just lost a loved one. I weep with those who weep. I know that is the truth, but I weep with those who weep because it's part of being in the family, the body of Christ. It's inherently an only Christian. And I think why the next verse in Romans 12, 16 speaks of harmony. If you go on, we weep with those who weep. Next verse. Live in harmony with one another. You want to know what we're going to do? We're not going to be able to live in harmony with one another until we learn how to weep with one another. Why can't we have harmony? Because we still haven't learned how to weep with one another and have empathy. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly, those that are broken in spirit and are having a difficult time. Never be wise in your own sight. You know how I read that? Stop thinking you've got all the answers and then trying to give them to everybody. We don't have harmony till we learn to empathize. And lament helps us to empathize. As we said last week about the book of Lamentations, lament can be a memorial for the purpose of remembering a painful moment. Lament could be a, a memorial, as we said last week, as to what had happened in the city of Jerusalem. And Lamentations is a memorial to what can happen when we turn away from God. It could also be a memorial of painful things that have happened in our lives where God came through and healed us and helped us. So it's not to forget the lessons that God taught us through the pain and the suffering of life. Hence again, why we do communion. It says to do it often so we don't forget the lessons and we don't forget what God is doing through the pain and the difficulty of the cross. This is what the African-American spiritual does. It helps us to lament. That's what laments are supposed to do as we pray and cry out to God. But in this specific case, it's to vocalize and to empathize and memorialize the pain associated with racial injustice. That's what the song did. So just a little bit of history about spirituals. And and you say, well, I didn't know I was going to get a history lesson on spirituals. That's okay. You are. Spirituals were birthed out of a brutal context of slavery and the secret churches, which is known as the invisible institution because they weren't allowed to worship in public or they would get in trouble. So they'd have to, the slaves would have to worship in private and hide at night in the darkness of night. And it was known as the invisible institution. And these songs came out of that, a lot of them. They did what a lament was supposed to do. It expressed the emotions and the pain of an individual, what's going on in their life, but then it also invited the entire community to walk alongside them in the middle of that. That's what a lament does. It's not me singing my solo sorrowful song. It's me singing a song to God in my pain or that prayer and my brother and my sister coming alongside me and saying, I don't really understand, but I am going to walk this out with you. It's a community song. One person's sorrow or joy becomes everybody's through song. Singing the spirituals was both intensely personal and vividly communal. Spirituals became the language of suffering and hope for those living as exiles. As we talked about the Psalms in the book of Lamentations, those minor key songs have parallel themes. And you can see those same themes even in a spiritual abandonment, loneliness, and a desperate need for God's help in a very helpless situation which you've got no power to change. 
And when you look at it, and when you listen to it, if you've ever listened to a spiritual and you hear them sung, you, you feel the generational trauma. It allows you to hear the suffering of people made in the image of God and empathize in a way that you could not have done so before. As we said last week, you're able to see things maybe through tear-filled eyes that you could not see through dry eyes. It's the same feeling that you get when you walk through a memorial today and you feel something in the past that God allows you to see something that you could not see before. Spirituals also parallel the Psalms in the way they affirm their trust in God. In the midst of a horrific circumstance, that's why I said this is good to add to the worship lexicon because all of us have suffering in this life. All of us go through difficulties, so what do we do? It's hard to sing, you know, the joy of the Lord songs and those upbeat tempo songs, so the lament helps us to bring an honest cry to God and still affirm that God is trustworthy and I'm going to worship him regardless. And that's what these did. In this case, there was an identification in the spiritual with the cross of Jesus Christ and the hope that their present suffering was was not the end of their story. The well-known spiritual, Were You There?, was one such song of identification and hope, spirituals, laments, just like psalms and lamentations, if you will. They identify with pain while pointing towards hope. It's a prayer, it's a song that identifies with the pain of a broken world, but the hope of the promises of God. Caught between the now and the not yet, there's a song that I can sing. John 15, 18, Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Or verse 20, if they persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you. It's gonna happen. And you could feel the singer of the spiritual or a lament, but in this case, the spiritual drawing comfort from a suffering savior that knew all too well the pain of hatred and persecution. A man of sorrows who was perfect in every way and yet crucified, which they were identifying with the pain of the crucifixion and the tree, which takes us down to verse 25 where it says, they hated me without reason. Where people felt, they hate me for what? There's songs like, Ezekiel saw the wheel. Now, I sang all these in college, so I don't know if you know them or not. You could probably find them on whatever playlist you listen to. Free at last. Oh, Mary, don't you weep. Tell Martha not to moan. Whoa, 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 whoa. Take six version is the greatest of that one. Ride on King Jesus. Man, I remember the first time I heard a friend of mine, her name's Indra Thomas. She's actually a well-known, famous opera singer now. I went to school, and I heard this girl singing right on King Jesus. I thought I was about to ride on with King Jesus. Swing low, sweet chariot. Will the circle be unbroken? I thought that was Johnny Cash. Wrong. So, uh, hey, I'm back over here. Sorry. I'm going to sit down this time, but I just want to give you an example what I'm talking about. I'll give Mr. Scott a chance to find them. Y'all can hear this better than I can, just so you know. I got no monitors up here. But what about wade in the water? So that would sound like this. Wade in the water. Wade in the water, children. Wade in the water. God's gonna trouble the had a meaning it had a reason there's a lot of discussion about all the meanings there's another one maybe you knew this one or have sung this one I think we've sung this one here were you there when they crucified my Lord were you there 
sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? So this is identification of the crucifixion of Jesus and the pain and the suffering that we go through in this life or when I come to die oh when I come to die when I come to die give me Jesus I hope, like even in something like that, I was sitting down this week just kind of playing through and singing those songs and Give Me Jesus is one of my all-time favorites, but how do those laments, how do that in the form of a spiritual in this case help us to listen better to people around us so that we can be reconciled? First of all, it deepens our understanding of history. And whenever we learn something about history in such a way that it provides a window for us to see into something we didn't see before. We can grow in wisdom because we're supposed to learn. We can grow in empathy because that's what we need to grow in. And we remember that laments help us to learn this. Secondly, we, it allows us to be able to listen to people with humility and respect. You could call a spiritual a gateway to the ongoing conversation that needs to be had in order to be reconciled with one another. And then lastly, it helps us to understand the sorrow of the past and the present. Spirituals could keep us from judging someone else's pain and help us to enter into it with them when we look at the context of history and how it affects us today. Lament helps us to take some further steps towards one another so that we can actually take some steps together under the banner of the name of Jesus. We have to step closer to one another. Listening opens the doors for us to walk together under the name of Jesus. So far we looked at how lament in general helps us to have empathy, helps us to learn empathy, but then specifically how empathy can help us to fulfill the call on the Christian church to be reconciled to one another, specifically racial reconciliation. And spirituals through lament help us to listen and empower us to walk together in that reconciliation. But now I want to talk about just to kind of land this plane this morning. And again, this is such a broad subject. Let me don't, I don't, for one second, this is not, oh, this is what you're gonna do and it's gonna work. This is such a broad subject, it's a difficult subject, it's a lifelong problem that has happened and gone on since sin entered the world. Uh, it's, it's a deep problem that's not gonna get fixed with one 35 minute message. But hopefully it's a start for us as a church as we continue to be who God's called us to be. 
But I want to talk to this morning, and this is going to be part one of part two, to those of us who are part of the racial majority. And I'll start by addressing those who are white because that's what I am, and I could speak to that with the most experience because that's what I've always been. If you could say, well, what about talking to the minority? Don't worry, I have it covered. Next week we'll get to that. But I'm also very aware, just as, as Jesus said to Peter when he was upset about what Jesus said he was going to do with John, so what is it your business of what I do with John? I'm talking to you right now. So I'm talking to those of you who look a lot like me. Nice looking. But I am also very aware as I do this that when it comes to racial reconciliation, there are more ethnicities than just black and white. But I also have a special burden in my heart and have for as long as I can remember, and we do as a church as well, for the experience of black Americans and to see healing and unity on our ongoing relationships or lack thereof with each other. And I'm calling us as a church again, and I've been doing so for the last 15 years, to grow in our understanding of that experience, which has a uniquely painful place in our history, the history of our country, and consequently has had detrimental effects and impacts on the church in the West. And we can see that very clearly every single Sunday. But I do believe this. I believe the ripple effect of this focus and what God is doing at In Focus and this understanding that he is giving to us to begin to walk this out in a greater way will bring deeper harmony for all ethnicities within our church and in our community and will propel us forward to even greater unity through diversity, which is what God has called us to do and what God has called us to be. First of all, as a white man and as a and don't just as a white christian i must learn to be empathetic we must be empathetic so we must be empathetic as Christians, but I'm speaking in this particular case as it relates to racial, racial reconciliation. When the majority culture learns to do Romans 15, which is to lead with empathy consistently, to weep with those who weep, we will see greater moments, and not just moments, but movements of reconciliation. If you're a Christian, then you must be empathetic. And if you say, well, I don't have an empathetic bone in my body, I would say, well, you don't have a holy bone in your body either. But because of Jesus and what he has done and his grace, we're able to to walk those things out that we are not without him so we can be empathetic if Jesus who is Emmanuel God with us was also described as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief how can we follow him and not do and be the same the incarnation of Jesus embodies empathy. As Jesus embraced our pain, he embraced our suffering, he came and was tempted in every way that we would be tempted. He understands our brokenness as a man. He crossed over to our side of the tracks, to our side of the street. He got in the ditch with us in the middle of our broken and hurting lives. He helped us, he rescued us, and with no ulterior motive and no desire for us to ever pay him back because we could never pay him back the debt that we owed wouldn't happen. He crossed over to us and he paid it all. And God proved through Jesus Christ that he loved us and his love doesn't reconcile us from a distance. Reconciliation doesn't come from far off. He came close enough to walk alongside us in our loneliness. He got in the middle of our messes. He came close enough to touch us with his hands in order to heal us. He ministered to our deepest needs because he understood them personally and he empathized with us and we're to do the same with our brothers and sisters. We've already mentioned Paul's admonition to weep with those who weep. Jesus' example in Philippians 2 says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We're to be like Jesus. Empathy is fundamentally vital to Christianity and it's fundamentally vital to racial reconciliation. We must be empathetic. We'll say, what, what is empathy? What do you say? What, what is that? We're glad you asked. Let's define it a little bit more so we can be better aware of what it is and what we're doing or what we're not doing. Empathy is the ability or the willingness to understand and care, to see the world through somebody else's eyes. Empathy enters into the sorrows of another person's experience and feels it with them. Isn't this exactly what Jesus did? For us to reconcile us back to God and to help us to be one with one another, he stepped into our sorrows in our experience and he felt it with us. So we follow in his footsteps and we do unto others as Jesus did to us first. Lament is empathetic and then it also creates community. You can see that in the lament psalms that were sung together in the church, in the choir, if you will. They help us by giving us this language, this common language that wrestles with the world the way it is, broken, and the way the world God says it's going to be, which is through his promises, and that is whole. And this is what happens in heartfelt prayers. Even if you pray for somebody, think about this. When you pray for someone else and you begin to pray for them because they're hurting, you enter into that with them and you begin to empathize with them. And you begin to have, when you do that, what you do is you feel closer to that person. Have you ever prayed for somebody while they're hurting? You feel empathy. You feel a closeness and an intimacy with them. And this is what this does. It's what it's supposed to do. And we take those prayers together to Jesus, who's the only one that truly understands and the only one that can really help. So in our context today, let's talk about it today. When something happens in our culture that blows up out there and on the internet or whatever, what if we lead with lament, even if we're not sure why others are weeping or even if they should be weeping? What if we led with lament instead? What if we led with lament and empathy with someone? What if we joined tears instead of judged tears? I hope you see the beauty of the body of Christ if we would operate the way Jesus operates as we cry with one another. Yes, rejoice with one another, but weep with one another. And that would be a pathway to being and staying reconciled to one another. And our first step in walking out racial reconciliation is to weep with those who weep and lament helps us by giving us a biblical language to do so. And it leads us to empathy, which is inherently and fundamentally Christian. You may say, well, I'm not compassionate. Say, well, then you need to take that to Jesus because inherently we're supposed to be compassionate. And you could say, well, man, I feel like I'm pretty compassionate. I got that compassion thing down. I feel, yeah, I feel that. I believe I'm empathetic to the pain of others around me. Well, let's take a test. And don't worry, no grades are going to be given out by me. Let me read an excerpt from a lecture by Dr. Micah Edmondson, who's a pastor in Michigan at the time. This was probably a couple of years ago. And he gave this lecture to the Council of the Gospel Coalition. The lecture was entitled, Is Black Lives Matter the Next Civil Rights Movement? Now before you break out into hives because there was a lot of words there, let me help you understand that he made thorough statements about the strengths and also the weaknesses of the movement versus say the statement and all of those caveats as well as the difference between the civil rights movement and BLM. He made all of that. But I want you to hear what he has to say because this is the test. My wife has to beg me a grown 37-year-old man not to go out to Walmart late at night. Not because she is afraid of the criminal element, but because she's afraid of the police element. 
Because she knows when police see me, they aren't going to see Micah Edmondson, pastor of New City Fellowship Presbyterian Church in Michigan at the time. When they see me, they aren't going to see Micah Edmondson, PhD in systematic theology. When they see me, all they're going to see is a black man out late at night. And she knows we're getting stopped at 10 times the rate of everybody else, arrested 26 times the rate of everybody else, killed five times the rate of everybody else. Black Lives Matter can see the injustice in those statistics, but how can Black Lives Matter see the value of a black life better than the Christian church? Why does Black Lives Matter care more about the value of my life than you do as pastors? Because he's speaking to a room of pastors. Now, here's the test questions and where some of the caveats may come in. When you heard me read this, where did your heart go? Where did it go first? Did it gravitate towards statistics? Did you think, where did he get those statistics from? Did you hear his reference to Black Lives Matter and begin to offer your argument about the ills of that movement? Did you hear his comment about being afraid of police and think that's ridiculous and stupid? Or were you able to weep with a black pastor whose wife is afraid for him to visit Walmart late at night because of how he might be perceived? Does your Christian brother's statement make you want to understand him more, hear him more about why he feels that way, or do you immediately want to argue with him? While we understand the value of statistics and inquisitiveness of statistics may be a habit of thoughtful people and should be done, did you find yourself minimizing the concern of the pastor and his wife because of it? Is their concern your concern for them? And let me say, discussions about statistics and social movements like BLM and theories like CRT are not off the table. They can be discussed, but they should not be the first course on the table or the only food for thought on the table. And then once they are discussed honestly through the lens of Scripture, then they can be dealt with honestly and openly, and they can be removed from the table altogether as the smoke screen that they were in the first place to keep us from being empathetic as Christ has called us to be empathetic. So my point in this is what we have needed the most as the church, we have lacked the most. What we should have led with as Christians, we never got around to. Listening with empathy is what we should be doing. And this is the case of many issues that we come to in this life and will for the rest of our lives. The topic of race without empathy does not work. And that's not just a racial problem, that is a human problem, that's a sin problem, and it's a problem that has a solution only in the gospel and through the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. No one can argue that the divide between the majority church and the minority church is massive. Nobody can argue that. The statistics, I don't care what statistical measurements you look out from whatever company or whatever place you want to look at them, the statistics all tell the same sad, sad story. And it's as best as it's ever been actually in the last few years, but then it was going back down. And the best that I've seen in statistics was 23% of evangelical churches all over the nation, only 23% were multi-ethnic. And that's only that 20% diversity. We may be more segregated than ever before, and I would say and argue that one of the reasons is it has to do with the lack of empathy many times from people that look like me. We've ignored or denied things in our history. We've overlooked the church's complicity in the status quo, and we have judged and detachedly prescribed answers and solutions for our brothers and sisters without stepping into the pain of those that are hurting. And if we don't get empathy right, then the divide in the church will only increase. And what God has called us to be, which is one, and a testimony to the world around us will disappear. 
But the point of this message and the point of lament and the point of the gospel is that there is always hope in Jesus Christ. There's always hope for racial reconciliation. God has not called us to something that is impossible. He's called us to something that's impossible without him. And in this consistent and continual spiritual battle to be one as Jesus prayed, we have to act like the one that we follow, which is Jesus. And Jesus, like Jesus, I'll say this very simply, like Jesus, we must lament personally. Jesus and Lazarus again. He didn't need a professional crier to come cry for the death of Lazarus. And that's what they had. What's that? They would actually have professional people come out there and cry. They had no attachment to what was going on. They would just cry. Why? Because they're supposed to be crying at a funeral. So they would cry. You know what? Jesus said, I don't need a professional crier. I am going to weep myself because I'm mourning with those who mourn. And he was in that moment. This isn't somebody else's call. This is the church's call. So when we lament personally, we will find empathy rising in our souls. Lament pulls the pain close so that we can empathize. We can read the lament psalms. We can read the book of Lamentations. Maybe we listen to a spiritual or whatever it is, and we allow it to transform our heart. Empathetic lament will change you from the inside out. Secondly, like Jesus, we must lament relationally. This isn't a solo affair. We do this together. When we communicate our awareness of something painful to a minority brother or sister, we weep with those who weep. What if we prayed a prayer of lament with a black or Latino or Asian brother or sister after a racially charged incident that got plastered all over the news and social media? And maybe we walked up and said, I don't understand exactly what you're going through, but I am going to walk together with you through this. Remember, lament says, I'm powerless to change this, God, but you're powerful and can do all things. When we lament, we see the suffering as a condition to be mourned with, not a problem to be solved. We acknowledge our limitations, and at the same time, we acknowledge the limitless power of Jesus Christ. This step may lead to more difficult questions. It may even lead to some disagreements, but it will never get better or change unless we start somewhere. And racial reconciliation is only possible in the context of relationships. So get some diverse friends and know that openness and honesty take time or should in any relationship. But lament can help us tear down walls of division, suspicion, and mistrust and build relationships that are real and honest and one and look like Jesus intended the church to look. And then lastly, like Jesus, we must lament corporately. It's time for the church to be more public about engaging in the process of racial reconciliation. And we can even do that with corporate laments. Maybe I'll post some this week, or maybe you write your own. There's no such thing as a secret reconciler. Jesus lamented the state of the world as he very publicly hung on a cross for all to see and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But not my will, your will be done. He lamented publicly. He was very outspoken. And the more outspoken we are as the church about walking together publicly in the light and one, the more unity we'll experience as we fight for that oneness together. Weeping with those who weep emulates the heart of Jesus. It opens the door for the grace of God to fill the chasm of division and injustice. It provides comfort to those who are hurting. And lament helps us to empathize the way that Jesus does with us. It is not the only step to reconciling us racially, but it is the first and most important step. Let's learn from lament and empathize with one another the way Christ has done with us. Let's pray right now. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.